We have been in a sermon series on the book of Galatians, and next Sunday we will begin our Advent sermon series entitled, What Child Is This? But today we are in between, and I want to draw your attention to a beautiful biblical passage about divine blessing. So let's look together at Numbers chapter 6. I'll read verses 22 through 27 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is Benediction. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When I was a little boy, I endured church services more than I enjoyed them. Sitting still and staying quiet was not exactly my idea of a good time. I found the sermons boring and the scripture readings and prayers uneventful. The music was pretty good, I guess, but my favorite part of the worship service by a long shot was the benediction. It wasn't even close. After crossing off all the other elements in the order of service, sometimes literally crossing them off on my bulletin, there at the last came that beautiful word, benediction. I loved the benediction because I knew it would be short and then it would be time to leave. In the United Methodist Church, where my family worshipped for a few years, the choir sang the benediction every Sunday at the end of the morning worship service. My heart would swell when I heard the familiar music because it was absolutely beautiful and it was time to go. <laughs> In the Lutheran church where I spent most of my childhood, the pastor would speak the benediction toward the very end of worship. Whenever he launched into those familiar words, I would well up with joy because it was brief and it was lovely and it was time to head out. After the benediction was voiced, I'd grab my jacket, I'd take in my hand the worship bulletin I'd carry in my pocket, the cough drop wrapper that I had had during the service, and I'd carry in my heart 
a feeling of grace and peace as I walked out of the church door and back into real life. Many churches, including our church and the churches I grew up in, utilize the benediction from Numbers chapter 6. This word of blessing has been cherished for centuries. Bible scholar Thomas Dozman notes that the Hebrew inscription, the Lord bless you and keep you and be with you, was found on a jar in the upper Sinai dating from the 8th century BCE. This benediction is also inscribed on two amulets that were discovered in a burial cave in the valley of Hinnom in the area of Jerusalem. The silver amulets date to the 7th century BCE. When we speak and hear this benediction today, we join hands with believers across the centuries who have heard it in worship, inscribed it on household wares, etched it upon amulets, and carried it in their hearts. The benediction is an exquisite composition arranged with meticulous care. As Bible scholar Timothy Ashley observes, the verses get progressively longer. In Hebrew, three, five, and seven words respectively. Thus, the impression is given of a a stream of blessing that begins as a trickle but flows even more strongly. Indeed, in the original Hebrew, the first phrase has 15 consonants, the second phrase has 20 consonants, and the third phrase has 25 consonants. Additionally, the first phrase, the Lord bless you, and the last phrase, and give you peace, each have seven syllables in the Hebrew, forming a sacred symmetry, bridging beginning and end. Such mathematical precision throughout gives the benediction a literary exactness reminiscent of a haiku. It's carefully formulated because it's so very important. The benediction exists to confer a divine word of blessing on the people. The opening phrase stands like a title to the whole passage, the Lord bless you. The Hebrew word translated bless suggests fertility and abundance. To be blessed means to be abundant in family love, in human relationships, and in basic resources. To be blessed is to experience comprehensive well-being. The prayer is for God's to help people flourish in every dimension of life. The Lord bless you, says verse 24, and keep you. The second phrase evokes God's protection. The word translated keep asks God to guard the people wherever they might be and whatever they might be doing. 
It evokes God's watchful care over the community. Much like God said to Jacob in Genesis 28, Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Essentially, the blessing confers the presence of God and security in God. It does not guarantee physical protection, but it does guarantee well-being for the soul because it keeps us in covenant relationship with God. The Hebrew term translated keep also refers to God keeping the covenant relationship with the community of faith. It therefore emphasizes God's loyalty to us, God's faithfulness to us. The Lord keep you means for God to hold you close in proximity, near in relationship, enveloped in divine embrace. The next phrase, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, suggests God's willingness to look on us kindly rather than turning away from us. Even when the sun won't shine on us, God's face can. It's like a parent looking upon a newborn. You just shine when you see the tiny face in front of you. God's face glows when gazing upon us because we are God's precious children. And be gracious to you, adds verse 25. This part of the blessing asks God to look on us with grace rather than severity, with mercy rather than judgment, with compassion rather than condemnation with tenderness rather than harshness. May God smile on you instead of frowning. May God look upon you with favor even when you don't deserve it. Bible scholars note that this passage concludes a long stretch of legal material that runs all the way from Leviticus 1 through Numbers Six. In this perspective, the blessing marks the end of 33 consecutive chapters of legislation. Yet it does not suggest that divine grace is predicated on the people's performance of the law. It rather indicates that divine grace is predicated on God's generous disposition toward the people. God is gracious to us, not because of what we've done, but because we are precious to God. God is gracious to us, not because we are so good, but because God is so good. God is gracious to us because of who God is, not because of who we are. In this sense, divine blessing is a pure gift. Not a meritorious achievement. The benediction continues, The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Since God's anger is sometimes signaled in Scripture by the image of hiding God's face, to lift up 
God's face seems to convey looking on the people in a good way with a pleased expression. This part of the blessing envisions God watching over us attentively, caringly, and favorably. Jesus said that all the hairs on our head are numbered. He said not even a sparrow falls from the sky without the Father's attentive gaze and that we are of much more value than sparrows. The image is that of God lifting up the divine eyes to look upon us with extravagant care. When I was pastoring in North Carolina several years ago, my daughter Maggie was enrolled in our church's preschool. And their playground was located right outside my office window. There were times when I would be working at my desk during a weekday and would look up and suddenly see little Maggie playing on the playground through the window pane not more than five or ten feet away from me. Sometimes I would pause for a few minutes and just watch her play. I observed her facial expressions closely. And I listened to her interactions with other kids carefully. Although she had no idea I was there and no consciousness of my watchful care. I was observing her every move with deep love and profound interest as my heart reached out to her. Similarly, God's eyes watch over our every move. God's ears hear our every word. And God's heart feels our every hurt, even when we are unaware of God's proximity. The benediction situates us in the center of God's vision and pronounces God's loving watch care over us. Even in a world of billions, God loves us each as if we were an only child. Indeed, the you in the benediction is grammatically singular, suggesting that God blesses and keeps and watches over each one of us personally. The blessing concludes with the simple phrase, and give you peace. The word bless at the beginning and the word peace at the end together signal that peace is the outcome of God's blessing. Peace is the goal of the blessing, just as peace is the goal of creation. The Hebrew term translated peace is shalom, which signals complete wholeness and comprehensive well-being in every dimension of life, from family to society to individuals, from economics to social relations to spirituality. This powerful Jewish concept doesn't just convey the absence of conflict. It doesn't just convey the absence of stress. It also conveys total well-being, deep fulfillment, wholeness of mind, body, and spirit. Shalom means that all is well with your soul and with your people. 
and with creation. That's the kind of peace God extends, and that's the kind of peace God intends. Since peace is the ultimate word of the benediction, and the end result of everything preceding it, the blessing is sometimes summarized simply by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you and give you peace. As a whole, the benediction is so beautiful, so precise, and so ethereal that it may seem incompatible with real life. Is this blessing gritty enough for people who are leaving worship and re-entering the daily grind? Is it authentically meaningful for those who are departing the church door and returning to the demands of family life, the pressure of the workplace, the hardships of the school year, the struggles of illness, the burdens of bereavement, the weight of financial stress, and the news of brutal warfare and the threat of AI and the polarization of, of politics? Is this blessing fit for the harsh realities of actual human existence? Or does it echo distantly in some biblical dreamland the moment we return to the church parking lot? Believe it or not, the benediction in number six was originally pronounced in the wilderness. The people were not sequestered in a safe spiritual enclave when they received this blessing, but rather were in a journey wandering through the desert, a problematic, precarious, and perilous landscape. The book of Deuteronomy calls it the great and terrible wilderness, a desolate wasteland full of deadly snakes and scorpions. The benediction resounds not in the strong structure of the Jerusalem temple, but in the wild and distressing conditions of the wilderness. Indeed, the benediction is fit for the stark difficulties of real life because from its very inception, it announced that God blesses us amid harsh conditions. God blesses us in contexts of adversity. God keeps us within the vicissitudes of life. God smiles on us in dour circumstances. God is gracious to us when life is not. God gives us peace amid the chaos, not apart from it. The ultimate point of the benediction, however, is not just to send us out from worship, but to confer God's name upon us. Verse 27 explains, So they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. As heralds bear the name of their king, so we bear the name of God. 
as children bear the name of their parents, so we bear the name of God. To confer the name of the Lord upon someone is to confirm belonging. When I was a sophomore in college, I worked as an RA on a freshman hall. One of the freshmen was a guy named Seth, and he and I quickly became friends. We went to the dining hall to eat together. We went to the gym to play basketball together, and we hung out on the hall together too. One day, I and another friend were hanging out in Seth's dorm room, and we noticed that his lamp had his name written on it. It said S. Blackley. Then we noticed that his desk had his name written on it too. It said S. Blackley. We started messing with him and Seth explained that before he moved into his dorm room, his parents wrote his name on his things in order to mark what belonged to him. We started examining other stuff in his room and sure enough his calculator had S. Blackley written on it. His shoes each had S. Blackley written on them. We pulled a t-shirt out of his drawer and it said S. Blackley on the collar. His name was written in permanent black ink on everything he had. If his basketball were bouncing around in the gym on campus, everybody would know it was his because guess what? It said S. Blackley on it. If somebody else on the hall tried to grab one of his hoodies and wear it about, everybody would know it was his because it said S. Blackley on it. All of his belongings were marked with his name. Likewise, friends, the benediction writes the Lord's name on each of us to mark us as belonging to God before sending us out into this world. The two most important words in the entire benediction are the first two, the Lord. Because of this benediction, God's name is etched on our hearts. God's name is inscribed on our souls. God's name is engraved on our minds. We are marked as God's people. We are claimed as God's possession. We are designated as belonging to God. God blesses us and God keeps us among God's covenant people and God never lets us go. If we are at home, we belong to God. If we are at school, we belong to God. If we are at work, we belong to God. If we are at the hospital, we belong to God. If we are at the cemetery, we belong to God. We have God's name written all over us, and everybody should know who we belong to. Blessing is ours. Grace is ours. Peace is ours because we are God's. Once we know that, We're ready to celebrate the end of the worship service. (laughs) 
and grab our jacket and take our worship bulletin and carry that cough drop wrapper and head out of the church door back into real life. Amen.